My dad was a Vietnam veteran. We've been around cannabis and CBD our whole lives. He would tell me that without it, he literally couldn't walk out of the house. His PTSD was so severe. The whole history of prohibition anyways, it's just, it's so unfortunate. It was so racially motivated as well as big corporation motivated. Why did we break through to, to people that were misguided with all of the, the uh, prohibition that's happened? A great brand is one that is built on trustworthiness qualities from your internal policies and structure and how you treat your team members and your advisors. You see that the products that you put out there help that really justifies all of the hard work in launching a CPG brand because it's more work and more money than anyone would ever tell you. <laughs>Welcome to the Generation Hustle podcast, a show that explores the world of business, entrepreneurship, and culture, all centered around the millennial. I'm your co-host, Sherison, alongside my good friend, Amin, and this week, we're exploring the world of CBD and all it has to offer. Episode 49 is with Devina Kanohi, co-founder and CEO of Element Apothic. Element Apothic is an innovative and purpose-driven consumer brand focused on CBD wellness and body care products. It was established with one goal in mind, to create a line of natural and organic CBD-infused skincare and wellness products which combine the healing powers of nature with the ingenuity of innovation. The journey began a decade ago when one co-founder afflicted with eight autoimmune disorders started creating custom body care blends that eased her pain, nourished her skin, and helped her feel better. Today, Element has expanded to more than 40 products, including lotions, body butters, roll-ons, tinctures, and supplements. So we speak with Davina about her journey in the cannabis and CPG space, how CBD has changed her life and that of her customers, and how she successfully built her brand and online presence. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, Davina, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Um, you know, one of the things, like I mentioned before, that we're exploring is kind of the exploration of the beauty space. Um, and so today we'll kind of talk about, you know, getting into, you know, the CPG space, uh, specifically in your industry. Uh, also talk about some of the things around, you know, CBD and its application and the science behind why you chose to go that way. And also kind of like some tangible things for founders in terms of growing your presence online and building something like a Shopify store or whatever it may be, and how to kind of deconstruct that almost per se. Let's get right into it. Um, you know, first thing I want to kind of talk about is the kind of one of the most monumental things that for most CPG brands is when they enter retail. Um, and by retail, we mean, you know, large companies like maybe a Target or Walmart or whatever it may be. But can you help us understand why so many brands seek this route? to scale their business um, and rather than stay D to C? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's interesting as a, as a founder of a company and, and looking to launch a CPG company and you evaluate your distribution channels and, and one of it is, you know, obviously retail is, is a, is a complementary channel to D to C. And, and the reason, for example, even we're looking at it because it, it increases your distribution. It allows more people to have access to your products, giving more brand awareness that, that also can then result in people coming mm -hmm. back to your store as well. Right. Um, but really, it, it provides a, a really great distribution channel. I think that the thing that people think, though, is all of a sudden you're on shelf and it's easy. And, and that's yeah. really where the work begins because now you have to – people, especially if you're a new brand, they may not know about you. And so how can you engage influencers to drive them maybe to the store to promote your products being there? How do you let your customers know that? They don't have to wait to get your product shipped to them that they can now go to the store and buy it on shelf. 
And so we, we've kind of taken a, a, a approach where we really focused on D2C for the first few months. And, and now we're looking to explore retail partnerships and have retail review meetings coming up because we wanted to at least have some brand awareness. If we were just a new product, then, then no one would have any idea about us, right. but really yeah. building out some of those marketing channels. Um, but it, it is a really viable channel for people. I also think if you're looking to grow and scale to a larger capacity than just being a small business, you're going to need those bigger distribution channels to really get to the numbers that you're wanting to, especially for us, we're fundraising and investors are mm. asking us how many retail shelves do we plan on and yeah. and what does that result in, but also building in, like I said, the downside, because maybe you end up having a retail partnership and, and the distribution doesn't end up being as successful as you want and, and really thinking about partnering with the right companies and also positioning your product for us where we have a higher end product. So maybe going into a Walmart probably wouldn't be the best decision right. for our product, but really positioning yourself where you can be successful and where your market might be shopping at. Yeah. And so you just mentioned that you're, you know, exploring some meetings with some of these retailers. So could you kind of walk us through the typical process and what an individual would need to do to prepare to get into these meetings. And then once you're pitching what you should be selling these retailers on. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the process starts with really knowing your business and your company and, and, and presenting that through a sales deck, a sales brochure is almost the first step that you need to take, making sure that you've really thought about your margins and mm-hmm. there's so many things I've learned so many incredible things about what retail partnerships look like. And there's free case packs that they expect and, and what are your annual and your quarterly discounts and sales and, and what happens with refunds. There's so many things that you have to think about. So really understanding all of your pricing and what actually goes into some of these retail relationships, I think is the first step. And then from that, building out your sales brochure, your sales deck really fine-tuning what that pitch presentation is going to be like Um, and then starting to reach out there's places like range me which allows you to connect directly with um, with customers or you know retail partnerships and building out that sales list where we are actually partnered with a a sales um, consulting company that is focused on higher end niche markets and working with emerging brands so they've done some of the outreach for us some of it we've done on our own um, yep. And then when you get into those meetings, you know, you're, you're connecting with a person. And of course, they want to make sure that your product's going to be successful in the store, but they also care about your story and your and your why and really, you know, and, and they build relationships. So it's really establishing that relationship. This is someone you're going to be probably working with for a long time. Right. There, there may be challenges that come up. So you want to make sure that you're that you present yourself as, as a real person, share your story about why you're doing it and, and your products at that point, if you've already gotten to the meeting, they should sell themselves. They've already felt confident that, that the products that you have would fit into their market. So that would be my recommend recommended advice. No, that's awesome. And I also agree with the whole point of building the relationship and then selling the story. Cause I think, especially with the CPG brand, the story is a huge narrative for why people, some would, would want to buy your product um, and then just kind of transitioning that through a retailer too. So finding the right partner is also, again, really key. But uh, could you also kind of mention um, some of the challenges that that exist once you actually are in retail? Because you did mention earlier that now you have to look at how to market your product a bit differently, 
the increase in potential supply that you need to kind of, uh, you know, provide these retailers. So uh, how do you kind of prepare for that? And then how do you forecast for the future? Yeah, I mean, for for us, and, you know, a lot of it was really building out these kind of projections and modeling of, of what can you expect in terms of returns? How much marketing money do you need to look to consider for each retail partnership to actually, and some of them require it that you actually put a certain marketing spend um, to be able to get on shelf with them. Um, So, and building out all of that, like I said, some of them require free product and specific discounts. So really thinking about all of those details. I've, I've talked to a couple of people recently that had horror stories going into um, retail. Um, One of them, she said literally almost caused their company. They had at some point, you know, 20 or 30 million valuation and almost caused them to go under because they, they couldn't meet the demand of the retailer, mm. the, the discounting. They didn't realize actually minimize their margins where they were actually losing money losing with a money. lot of the yeah. retail relationships. So it's, it's really, I think for me, it's more just planning ahead. The recommendation is thinking through all of your numbers and being really tight on what the expectations are and and then preparing to now that your product's on shelf, it's not going to just sell itself. If a customer doesn't know about it or know who you are in in place, you know, import those marketing strategies to tell your customers, Hey, we're here now. And, and I think influencers is a really good way to go. I've seen a lot of companies We're we're exploring that path as soon as we launch in a couple other retail stores to start driving influencers and, and working specifically with the stores to promote customers to come in. No, that's awesome. And do you think there's one thing that a founder of a CPG brand is usually kind of surprised with when they finalize a retail partnership? Um, like you just mentioned a horror story around discounting and stuff like that. Um, are, are there any other things that, you know, usually founders are like, oh, I didn't know that um, kind of thing? I mean, for me, it was the, the the free fills that I didn't understand, which is basically, you know, if we buy this much, then you have to give us this much for free. I had no idea oh, that, wow. that, okay. that it is, but it's really common, especially, I mean, for example, the CBD space is very competitive, right? There's right. there's thousands of brands out there and everybody vying for this position. And so you have to look at the retailers, their businesses also, and, and wanting to maximize their returns as well. So so that was surprising to me because I wasn't expecting. And some retail stores, that's how you start. Even that also right. is a surprise for me is that that you're not they're not even buying your product initially. They're asking you to basically give it to them for free. Mm-hmm. They're going to yeah. test it out with their customers and determine if they even want to move forward with you. Which at that point could put you at a loss. For sure, you said it there too. Uh, the CBD space is very competitive. So let's let's talk about uh, Element itself. Uh, can you tell us about the story and kind of what inspired you to founding this company? One of the reasons that we, we asked that is because obviously the CBD space is very competitive. The beauty space is very competitive. And so like bringing those two worlds together uh, is kind of something new and something that we haven't seen just yet. Um, so can you talk to us about that? Like what excited you to get into that space? And can you talk to us about the product development itself? So the story is interesting. Although we're a new brand, we say we're eight years in the making. And that's because... My great aunt eight years ago had been diagnosed with many different medical conditions and autoimmune diseases, and her prognosis at best was bedridden and not for many years and at worst not not much time to live. So 
she actually decided at that point, if I'm going to be in bed, I might as well feel good while I'm in bed and, right. and, and create products that maybe will help my skin feel better or, or at least make me look good when I take pictures of myself um, and make me feel good so I can rest better. So I maybe have some relief. My you know body's not hurting me so much. And so I actually have a sister who's also was a grower at the time. So she provided her with her first cannabis seedlings and helped her understand how to grow cannabis. Um, my my dad was a Vietnam veteran. We've been around cannabis and CBD our whole lives and understand the value of it. He would tell me that without it, he literally couldn't walk out of the house or right. sleep at night. His, his PTSD was so um, severe. So we grew up thinking that this was an okay thing to use. Also, my culture is Polynesian and it's very much accepted in that culture. So so when she started getting sick, she turned to cannabis, but she also started turning to other alternative remedies and, you know, looking at what Eastern medicine was doing and how could she create products that, that could help her. And so she just started exploring things and, and in her kitchen and this, the little bit of time she could be out of bed making stuff, but it actually started helping her not only look better or or, you know, feel a little bit better, but it actually started making her be able to get out of bed and people noticed it and would ask her, Hey, I, I see that's working for you. Can you make me something? I have this, I have that. And so she became like the local apothecary, you know, over the year, she's created over 40 products to help people. I like always tell friends, do you realize what you're putting on your face? And do you realize what you're washing your hair with? And do you know what you're cleaning your house Mm -hmm. with? And and so I'm passionate about the you know, clean beauty, clean cons- conscious consumerism, um, organic products and stuff like that. And she knew that. And so even building out her website, we incorporated that. But she had no idea, really. Technology seems really complicated to her. Right. So I was also at a transition point in my career where I had finished up a company that I was working on. We decided not to move forward with it. And, and she said, you know, I really want my products to go from the kitchen to the world. I feel like I was given a gift and, and I can help so many more people. Um, and at that point, I took that challenge on and took over the business um, because I really could see. I bought her products for friends, for, for parents. I used them for myself, um, for my family. And, and I knew that they worked. I knew all of the work and experience and thought that went into creating the product. So that that basically created Element Apothic. But we went further and said, okay, we have these great products, but we're asking people to put this on their face. We're asking people to put this right. on their body to ingest them. So um, we brought on a medical advisory team and an integrative pharmacist and integrative medical doctor, integrative dermatologist to really look at the products and make sure that they were efficacious and safe and, mm-hmm. and that they were in the right you know, percentages, that there wasn't an ingredient that was there just to be there. Every ingredient really serves a purpose, which I think is something that a lot of people, especially in the CBD space, they'll take a lotion, they throw in CBD and they're like, now you have a CBD lotion. But there's so much opportunity. Like our lotion has over 18 ingredients. Every single ingredient serves a purpose. You have an opportunity to create really functional products for people. And that's what she needed. She didn't want to apply 10 different bombs. She wanted one bomb. She didn't want to have to take all these supplements. She wanted one tincture to be able to take. So, so that was kind of how we went how we got into this space. And it's interesting because you mentioned the kind of convergence of beauty and CBD. So some of the products she made was because she, she did want to, you know, have a a face lotion or a face serum that, that could help her not only with 
the dryness of being at home and stuck in bed, but she just wanted to look in the mirror, even though her body wasn't feeling good, but to look good. And, and that made her feel a little bit better. So that's how some of the beauty products ended up, the face serum or the lotion that we have ended up getting created was, you know, because she just wanted to feel good and look good. And I think that is such a a thing everybody wants that yeah. even now in COVID, even though you're home, you want to look mm. in the mirror and be like, Oh, I, I feel good. And knowing what you're putting on your face is clean and safe. We have people that said they use our face serum now and they have taken away all of their morning routine. They put on our face serum, they put on lipstick and they're, they're ready to go for the day. And um, <laughs> it's just amazing. And, and people complimenting them on their skin and then they've slept well at night because they've used our tincture that helps them sleep better. And you, you see that the products that you put out there help that really justifies all of the hard work and launching a CPG brand. Cause it's, more work and more money than anyone would ever tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's an incredible story. And I, I really like that you mentioned, you know, the fact that we really don't know what we put on our faces and our skins. Otherwise, we kind of just, you know, take or, what we're or in our bodies, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We kind of just take whatever advertising we're told as is. Um, so to that point, can you kind of talk to the actual benefits of CBD itself? Um, obviously, it's a natural product. It's It's coming from cannabis. So can you speak to um, how it helps you, like the things that it actually helps you with and how those products kind of uh, can be used uh, on an everyday basis for those things and kind of like the formulation of that. You mentioned, you know, you actually had a team come in to help you. So can you speak to that process like of formulating the products and what they actually do? In our bodies, we have an endocannabinoid system. We're born with it. That endocannabinoid system, those main receptors are CB1 and CB2 receptors that go literally throughout our entire bodies, through our organs, our, our skin. You know, it, it complements and supplements all of the systems that we learn about in school. And it's just starting to really be recognized and understand that we do have this endocannabinoid system. Our body naturally produces some cannabinoids and and early on in our diet, I think we actually, there's a lot of things with terpenes and other cannabinoids that you can get, not just from CBD that were part of early human diets that maybe have been eliminated or changed. And then there's the phytocannabinoids, which are the supplemental plants like CBD, um, you know, cannabis that then come in and really pair perfectly providing the, what our endocannabinoid system needs. And so from a kind of, you know, biological perspective, it, it isn't just a snake oil. There actually is medical research to substantiate how cannabinoids work within our body. And, and each cannabinoid, you know, THC is a cannabinoid, CBD is a cannabinoid. There's some other minor cannabinoids, CBG, CBC, CBN, that there's hundreds of cannabinoids they expect, and, and they're just beginning to be researched as, as now we can research them and understand them. Each of those cannabinoids work within different areas of those receptors. So, so THC often operates more on, you know, the CB1 receptor, which is more in our brain. And, and then the CB2 receptor is more with CBD and some of the other minor cannabinoids. And so when you create products, it's really looking at the functional properties that you're trying to to help with those products that you're working in and what parts of those receptors are you trying to trigger to make them be as effective as possible. Um, and that's, I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, there's so much to learn. They're finally starting to incorporate some of this even into medical school and their supplementary education, um, you know, extensions and like UC Riverside and some schools are now incorporating cannabis education. So that's, 
So when you look at creating products, it really is kind of taking that step back and saying, how can we help a, a human body actually function well? And, and how do we help these products trigger those receptors? And then there's combinations of essential oils and plant-based remedies. And, and even within the cannabis and CBD plant, there's terpenes and, and different things that all work in conjunction with, with that endocannabinoid system or, or in within our brain and, and functions as well. For sure. Yeah, that's incredible. I think uh, we're just kind of scratching the surface about yeah. all the benefits that are coming from this. So um, like you mentioned, I think once the researchers kind of get going, we're going to get more of these reports and more of these details that will help kind of push that narrative forward um, with this kind of journey. So along that kind of train of thought, can you speak to kind of the process itself of uh, getting approval for a product like this? Anybody could take a product and start selling CBD products. There's not really any requirements. The The Farm Bill passed in 2018, which said that it has to have below 0.3% of THC. Okay. But within, within that structure, it's really a free for all, which is kind mm-hmm. of unfortunate because, and, and there's a lot of products. I mean, the FDA, FTC continue to test products that test under even what people are saying. If they say it's 500 milligrams of CBD, there may only be 50 milligrams or a hundred milligrams. There's, there's really not, not much regulation on it, which has allowed, I think over 3000 brands have launched in the last two yeah. and a half years since the formal class because of that, because anyone could, basically take a product or go to a manufacturer and, and slap their label on it and, and push something out. It's left a lot of confusion for the consumer in other countries like in Canada or the UK, there are much more regulations. Like in the UK, they have the novel food certification that you have to get. And, and Canada has similar processes as well, where, where it is a little bit more regulated. We hope to get there. And, and there's talks of a couple different paths that they can take in the U.S. to make cannabis or CBD considered more of a supplement and, and what those regulations look like. But it really puts the responsibility on the company to, mm-hmm. to be able to educate consumers in terms of building trustworthy products and being transparent with your COAs, which is your certificate of analysis to say, we're not hiding behind anything Here's what we say is in our product and here's actually what's in our product. But really, unfortunately, a lot of that responsibility is put on the consumer to to have to research and, and vet these companies because there isn't this this regulation. So it makes it tricky and, and it's also turned some people away from it because they've been disheartened with, you know, the lack of trust and transparency that has existed with some of the companies in this space. So for us, we've taken it as, all right, this is our opportunity to really build a trustworthy quality to be a hundred percent transparent with everything that we do. So the consumer can at least feel like, okay, I can trust this brand or at least even educate them to say, if you're not buying from us and you're buying from someone else, here's the things that you should think about when you're purchasing these types of products. No, I, I think that's really powerful just because like um, a lot of brands don't think about trust and authenticity. Uh, for, for example, I guess uh, in your space, maybe someone has a large marketing budget um, and they're just going to be shooting out dollars marketing spent just to convert sales. They don't really care yeah. about who's buying this. Um, but I think long term, that's definitely not going to work out. Right. So people are going to figure yeah. out eventually that this is a hoax uh, yes. versus what you guys are doing. Uh, you're educating individuals. And I think there's so much more needed to be done in terms of education around yeah. the whole cannabis space and the health benefits um, and also demystifying some of those uh 
uh, <laughs> the taboos around cannabis yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. There's still a lot of that. Uh, we know this is just a generational phase thing. Uh, I think millennials right. are way, way, way more receptive to yeah. any of this. So have, have you kind of uh, seen some of that yourself in terms of maybe your buyer profiles or just individuals you've dealt with personally in terms of like getting onto the shelves or, you know, selling? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's funny you say that even with demystifying it because I have friends when I, you know, transitioned to launching Element Apothic, they said, I can't believe you're launching a CBD business. I'm like, yeah. what are you yeah. talking about? You know, cannabis for me, I have a picture. I think I was five months old. I'm proudly sitting next to my dad's cannabis plant yeah. with my hair everywhere and this biggest smile. And I said, I'm so thankful that I actually get to be in this space and, and helping people learn and educate them about the benefits of, of how this plant works with our bodies and create products that really help people. But yeah, it's, it definitely shifts more towards kind of the millennial age group in terms of understanding and being just open to alternative remedies. The, the whole history of prohibition anyways, it's just, it's so unfortunate, it was so racially motivated as well as, you know, big corporation motivated with paper and all of this stuff that happened. And so if, if we can start continuing to tell that story of even why it initially, there initially was prohibition and people start opening their eyes and realize, I mean, there's a show or something on YouTube that's called Hemp for Victory. It's put out by the U.S. government. We used all of our sails and our ropes and everything on the early Navy ships were all made from hemp. And so you, people start to look at things and say, wow, I didn't understand that that happened or in early apothecary shops, you know, there's the bottle of cannabis that's sitting on the shelf and, and people use this. So you start changing those conversations, but I think there are certain age groups and, and ranges that are more open to it. And, and right. then now it's how do we break through to, to people that were uh, misguided with all of the, the uh, prohibition that's happened. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because we actually did a, a, a small little podcast on exactly that. So we got inspired by um, um, Joe Rogan, who made comments around the uh -huh. hemp industry. Um, right. and like, I forgot the individual's name, Sharon maybe you remember the guy's name <laughs> Yeah, um, and how he people. used his <laughs> influence on like the paper mills and all that stuff to no, take it yeah. because, first. yeah, yeah, yeah there you are. There you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was just like, holy shit. We didn't realize like, this is a whole little back. There's something happening in the background that we right. just didn't realize. So yeah, I mean, the, the racial stuff was, the, was one of the biggest motivators, mm -hmm. I think, cause it was a way to put. Uh, you know, the, a particular culture, culture in a bad light, and they used it for their political agendas to, to you know, talk about um, you know immigration yeah. and stuff like that. So I mean, it's, yeah. if you really start understanding, and it was racially, and then you know, obviously corporate, uh, you know, re yeah. re regulated to cause the prohibition to happen. It's just so ridiculous. I mean, it's <laughs> the whole shift of even like not using marijuana because marijuana at that point was considered a bad word almost and right. and shifting those conversations to say that's part of what led to prohibition so let's not use that word anymore let's use cannabis instead i'm forgetting yeah. the word of that or the title of that video uh where they kind of put out like a propaganda where people are getting high in a party Reaper madness Reaper, yes that's people forget about that like i don't think this generation knows that video at all but if you see now we look back at it like what what are we talking yeah, exactly. about it was uh, definitely a world that we are trying to evolve and get away from so 
<laughs> Luckily, we're starting to see changes. But yeah, just yeah. Uh, kind of shifting over to now say it's just like building the online presence and a brand. First, could you help us like define what you feel like a great brand is? And then maybe walk us through what your strategy has been to like, say, increase engagement through your socials and what has worked, what hasn't worked. For me and for us as a company, I mean, truly a great brand is one that is built on trustworthiness qualities. And, and that's in everything that you do from your internal policies and structure and how you treat your team members and your advisors to the, the, the quality of the products that you push out and what are the pillars that you that you stand on that matter to you as a company and, and holding true, having that thread weave through everything that you do in your organization. It's, it's why for us being, you know, B Corp certified, we're in the pending B Corp process and, and showing people that it's not just, we're not just saying it, but if you're building a, a brand that these things matter, then, then to really go through the efforts to show that, that this matters to you. My background was in, um, I initially started in HR and operations. And so I really understand the value of the people and the internal processes and policies and the goals that you set as a company. And and then oftentimes that doesn't always translate on the other side to how they behave to the consumer and the and the products that they put out. So it's really tying that together and having that be really a strong foundation, I think. Um, is really, to me, the importance of building a brand and thinking about that from from day one, not, not you know, after you've launched an Elvis and you're trying to build this great reputation, but, but starting with the, those foundational goals from the beginning, I think is, is something that is important. And I think some of the brands that are now starting to have success, those are the things that you, that they talk about that mattered and, and putting in that hard work to make that happen, even if it means taking a little bit longer to launch your product, but, or building, you know, the team out to make that happen. To me, that's important. And then, you know, as you, as you do launch to, to just always have that kind of checks and balances mm-hmm. in mind as you're, as each step of the way, as you're going through that process. And it's hard launching a CPG brand definitely takes a lot more work and a lot more money and, and so, you know, also building, really having good financial modeling and projections from the beginning and, and checking off all of those small little details to make sure that your messaging's on point, that, that you've tested the market to make sure that you actually do have a product fit, that people will like your products. I've talked to a couple of founders recently who didn't do that. And, you know, they, they learned their lesson. They now are launching other companies and going through that process to think about those decisions ahead of time. because. You just don't know what the acceptance might be of your product or, or, or you know, testing out those use, use cases and, um, and then supplementing that with the technology that you need to actually push out what you're doing, whether it's if it's D2C, having a really good website and, um, you know, what other technology components can you have to make sure your company's staying on target with its goals and commu- internal communications and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think you make a good point there. Like I've, I have a, a few friends in the CPG space that are just like starting out and um, just happen to be in the finance space. So they come to me and the, so uh, what, how do we build out like a margin or like, what's a good <laughs> <Right>. margin? <laughs> um, and me just having, I don't really have a background in CPG. So uh, I just kind of help them describe of like, this is how like the, you know, financial statements work um, and right. how a business model would generally work because most individuals do not have a financial background. Yeah. And as soon as they talk about numbers, they just get confused. Um, right. So I, I, I just enjoy just talking to them sometimes and like 
they confuse like say profit equals cash kind of thing. That's the one concept I always tell them it's not right. the same thing, right? <laughs> Don't confuse it the same thing, right? Um, yeah. And so it's just a lot of these conversations. But, you know, you also mentioned a point where, you know, you have to have technology enable kind of some of the triggering in terms of the sales. Uh, what have you done in terms of like tools um, and what have you utilized to kind of increase checkout rates or basket size or reduce like shopping cart abandonment? Like what is your strategy around that? I mean, a lot of it is, you know, I mean, first off, just building a really good website and getting that user feedback because, you know, we even built a website and we're like, this looks great. And then we got feedback on people saying, well, what do you even do? You don't even say that you have CBD products on your, you yeah. know, in your landing image. And I'm like, oh yeah, we don't, we have this great image here, but it doesn't even say what our products actually do for somebody. Um, So, so how utilizing, we use Shopify for our platform. Mm-hmm. We were on WooCommerce before and shifted over just because there's so many incredible plugins and and a lot of even online marketplaces all partner with Shopify. Um, and so we ended up moving that route, but doing a lot of customizations and just using the Shopify templates, which can work for a lot of people. But but we also wanted to have a little bit more within that framework. And and so then thinking about the technology that supports it with our Email marketing, we use Klaviyo for our um, email marketing and all of the email flows that happen if somebody comes to the site and collecting their email and, you know, if they add to the cart, abandoned cart, all of that supplements really well. And then having all of that translate into um, also, you know, other tools that we can use to reach back out to them. We have a contest wheel that pops up and there's there's so many different add-ons it it gets confusing sometimes i think on shopify ken because you want everything you're like oh i can get this affiliate plugin and i can get you know this contest plugin and i can get you know all of these things but also they all slow your site down so you have to think and be really thoughtful about all of those decisions that you make and not just bombard your your site with a whole bunch of really cool interesting plugins because it may actually have a opposite effect in your sites too slow that people leave and none of that right. really matters to begin with anyways. And then we, you know, we have on the back end we have QuickBooks and QuickBooks Commerce, which helps manage all of the the logistics and actually sending information to our um, to our shipping company to send out products to the consumer. So having all of those um, you know the technologies you mentioned all integrated really helps to automate a lot of those processes. But in the beginning, the work is, you know, all those email flows have to be built and you have to think about what your messaging is and not just using the standard stuff that's out there because customers know they, the same email I got from 10 other companies. <laughs> like, why why did you <laughs> yeah. not take time to actually send me something different? So it, there's a lot of work to get all of that set up. But but it once it you do have it set up, it really does help and allow you to focus back on the things that are important, which is the you know ongoing improvement on messaging and customer retention and and continuing to build new products and creative marketing avenues that you can use to get that brand awareness as a new brand. For sure, I think that feedback is is, is really important. I mean, pretty much on every step, you know, from your website to your product to your culture, everything, right? Um, and so, like one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that you know CPG is hard. It's 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 a tough business to be in. It's it's there's so much work to do. There's so much kind of logistics to be on top of. And one thing that we've kind of noticed from a lot of CPG founders that we worked with is you know just their network, right? Just they're able to lean in on their network and get some help just from people so that they're not struggling uh, to kind of learn new things or anything like that. So can you tell us maybe? Uh, 
how that has helped you at all? You know, people that have helped us has been absolutely invaluable. And and that's from everything from, from the customers that have given us feedback in terms of usability of the site and, and how it actually functions. We've also relied really heavily on an advisor team. We have, uh, I think we have eight people on our advisory team and in each one with, with functional expertise, whether that's in sales or uh, branding, um, finance. And so and they're not just advisors that we've met with once. And we're like, hey, can you be on our advisory board? So, so it looks good. But we, you know, some of them I meet with weekly or, or at minimum biweekly to really provide their insight and knowledge in terms of this is what we've done. Don't make the same mistake. This is a tool that you might want to use. Here's some strategies we've employed. And, and then also I'm part of several um, female founding networking groups and, and other CPG groups like Startup CPG is great, too to, you know, post questions and OMG CPG, I think is, is another one that's been really valuable to, to be able to go on there and ask other founders that have been in this space and launched CPG companies, what tools do you use? You know, how did you handle this situation? What advice might you give? And I, I go in there every morning and read the post, even if just to, just to gain that continual insight and knowledge from people and, and not being afraid to ask questions or, you know, get on Slack and, and ask people what they've done before. I mean, it's, there's no reason not to rely on the people that are around you. Like you mentioned, your friends come to you because you have finance yeah. background. And, and so, you know, you, we all have people that have really incredible experience around us and it's just being comfortable to, to lean on people. And people are so, I mean, in the CPG space, I've been, I was in the internet space for a while and, I don't know. It's in technology space, the CBG space. I've realized people are so willing to help you and yeah. and to share their their stories and their experiences and and you know when they did made mistakes and how they overcame those mistakes more than any industry of experience. So it's it's really even though it's hard, it's a lot of work. It's it's also great to have this network of people and so rewarding to get your products in customers' hands when they really are enjoying the experience of your product. So it, yeah. it makes it all so worth it. On that note, like what would you say is the best piece of advice uh, for entering the beauty space or just, you know, running a company on your own, founding a company of your own to stand out? Like what would be your best piece of advice? Maybe something that you've learned along the way or that something that you've kind of gathered from others? In terms of the advice, I mean, I just think go for it. You know, if you're, if you're passionate about what you're doing, if, if you if you know people, if you have a good product, you know people have experienced it. So a lot of CPG founders, I think, come from starting, maybe it's an idea or they've made something at home and they liked it or, or something they see an, an opportunity. It's gonna, it, it will be hard to begin with and, and sometimes finding that initial funding and, and you know, leaning on friends and family to help support you, but just just go for it. Cause there's no better day than today to, to start. I think, you know, for me, when I sat around a little bit, like, should I do this, not do this? I mean, that day that I made that decision, I, I've never looked back from it as long for me, because it, it satisfies my why I'm really passionate about it. Don't just try to get into a space because, you know, this is a beauty CBD and it's an open market. I can make a lot of money, but really be yeah. passionate about what you're doing. Cause on those days when, when it's hard or on those days when it's amazing, it just makes it all that much better. We talked about it earlier. There's a lot of brands just coming out with CBD and cannabis on the label and they just throw some something, some goop into a container and sell it to you, right? Yeah. And, you know, just hearing your story and, and kind of what you stand for and why you're doing this, it, 
it's it's clear that it resonates with your why um you know directly so i think that's incredible that kind of like wraps up the content portion around your business we wanted to understand you know what uh, element is doing and what we have to offer one thing that we like to do is kind of just end off with a lightning round where we toss some quick questions at you just to understand you a bit better and so I'm going to shoot some quick questions and just let me know the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. First off here, can you tell us your favorite book of all time? I would say it's Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. I probably read that book like once a quarter, just wow. as, a good, as a good reminder. I love it. I love it. Once a quarter. How many times do you think you've read that now? Oh my gosh. I can't even count how many times <laughs> I've read it. I don't always read the whole thing, but but I'll go through. There's just... It's just a good book in terms of especially launching a business. And I mean, mm-hmm. through all different stages of my life, but but especially yeah. launching a business now. And it's just that reminder of what's important. And I think many leaders forget that they need to be vulnerable and, and how to challenge themselves and, and being able to sit with yourself on those days is just so important. Next question here. You've had a long day. Uh, you come home. How do you like to unwind after a busy day? Um. I just, I actually just like to garden, <laughs> sit outside and, and, uh, and garden is what I enjoy. Can you tell us maybe the best piece of advice that you've received? Uh, this can be related to work or life, just anything in general. Just to be comfortable with yourself, with who you are, um, and, and know that, that you're doing the best job that you can in any given moment. And last but not least, we like to save this uh, because it tends to get people uh, into into a controversial spot here. Do you like pineapples on your pizza? I do like pineapples on my pizza. <laughs> I could see how that could be complicated because <laughs> I've had many people go, you like pineapple on your pizza? <laughs> Davina, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think um, the CBD industry and, and just the space itself is about to explode and there's a lot of good that can be taken from, from these products. So I think uh, you're going to be helping a lot of people, whether that's educating them or just um, giving them a product that's going to help give them a better quality of life so uh, we're looking forward to the future of cbd and the future of element yeah how how can people find you by the way yes we can we're on our website is elementapothic.com we have our instagram as well element apothic and um, linkedin facebook it's all element apothic on there